people of the audio world, welcome to the Cycling Tips Tour de France Daily Podcast. We're here in Copenhagen. We've just had stage one finish. It's been a good one. We've had a surprise winner. We've got wet. Riders have got wet. We sat here outside a pizza joint. So shivering. You, yeah, shivering because we're cold, but we've got this podcast to do, which we're very happy to to do. But first, should we, should we, uh, should we big up the sponsors? Today's sponsor of the podcast. Are you ready for this, people? Now you've probably spotted it by now, either on the cycling tips or on TV, the new Trek Madone SLR. It's here, people, and it's Trek's fastest road race bike ever. That's why the men's and women's team at Trek Segafredo will be using it at this year's Tour de France and Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. Trek have found loads of aero improvements all over the place, both in the frame and cockpit and in rider position, believe it or not. According to Trek's testing, the new Madone SLR is a whopping, you ready for this lads, 19 watts faster at 45 kilometres per hour than the previous version. It's also the lightest Madone Trek has ever made. If you want to know a bit more about this, you can visit trekbikes.com to see the new Madone SLR. And we say a massive thanks again to Trek for sponsoring today's tour daily episode. Right, shall we get into today's stage? Johnny, you are the man who's been standing in the pits interviewing riders. Well, keeping track of the race because once you're on the ground, it's a little bit difficult to see what's happening, believe it or not. Ronan and I have been running around where all the buses are getting the latest tech. So, Johnny, I'll leave it up to you, mate, to let us know and the kind listeners know what's happened today. Great first day at the Tour de France this year. Everything is way more open than it has been in, in the previous two editions in the pandemic. Everyone's free to sort of mill around the buses in a respectful manner, masked up. And today we had a surprise win. Well, a surprise winner because he wasn't touted as one of the top favourites. But he's a he's a good time trialist. It's Eve Lampart from Quickstep Alpha Vinyl. The the way with the rain today, the rain sort of kept, started coming down after the first few riders kept rolled out of the start hut. They had uh, Stefan Bissiger crashing three times on the course, which sort of set everyone bit set the nerves for the day. You had Mathieu van der Poel taking the hot seat for a bit, and then you had the the, the trident of Wout van Aert, Filippo Ganna, and Tadej Pogacar all rolling off the start ramp, and they were the ones who were likely to challenge as the as the rain sort of subsided a bit. So Eve Lamp, and then Eve, and after that, Eve Lampart came through and blew them all away. So the final the running order, the stage one result was Eve Lampart in 15 minutes 17 seconds. Seconds. Wout van Aert was five seconds off that. Tadej Pogacar was seven seconds off Lampart, the highest of the GC riders today. Filippo Ganna, 10 seconds down. Mathieu van der Poel, 13 seconds down. But the, the crucial thing in the G race, even GC race, even at this early stage, is that Tadej Pogacar took eight or nine seconds about off of both Jonas Vingegaard and Primoz Roglic. The other stories of the day was Geraint Thomas said he rode the the first half of the time trial was the worst he'd ever ridden a time trial in his life but possibly the warmest he's ever rolled because he forgot yes. to take his gilet off didn't he he said he was uh, really nice and comfy when he put it on when he was warming up and then he completely forgot about it he was like a little bit miffed but said it wasn't the guy in the start hut's fault that he didn't notice but he got to the first time check 
and he was really nervous around the corners. He was like, I, I, you know, I was watching the crashes and I thought, well, like, that's a bit of me. So maybe I just take it, you know, don't want to ruin it on the first day. Actually, um, before you, we've got a bit of an audio uh, clip here with Rod oh, yeah. Ellingworth from Ineos, who's basically the main man there now, uh, where I chatted to him about Geraint Thomas's um, mishap. Right, we're with Rod Ellingworth, the only man, the only man, uh, me. We're with Rod Ellingworth, the only man you need to know at Team Ineos, right? We saw Geraint Thomas roll out with his gilet on. The question is, was it A, he's a little bit forgetful, B, he's just that confident that he didn't need those marginal gains, C, that he's far too skinny and needed to keep warm, or D, all of the above? All of the above, I think. I think maybe uh, far too skinny and needed to keep fit warm. I don't know. You'd have to ask him, actually. Uh, I think uh, a bit of a mistake from G's part there, uh, or from everybody, to be honest, yeah. All right, you've got a bit of a... Well, is it a trident of a team leading this year? Completely different to other years. Is it what? Like a trident. You've got oh, three, yeah, yeah. three blokes who are quite handy. Yeah, no, they're all good. All deserve their place. And, you know, it's great seeing them uh, race together this year. And G's done... G's done a fabulous job. You know, Danny's... I mean, you know, he's won, won a World Tour stage race. Uh, Adam, I think, was in great form going into Swiss. And then, um, you know, obviously... Uh, got COVID but no all good actually yeah yeah the lads are I'd say what I really like about them is the, is the group the way in which they're just being together they're having a good laugh I think it's great you know young Tom on board and, and being with these lads and racing his first Grand Tour or first Tour de France should I say with them so yeah good yeah and you've got Steve Cummins as DS for the first time at the yeah. uh, Grand Tour well at the Tour de France the question is he was renowned for hanging around at the back and only popping to the front when he was needed. Is that going to be his advice to all the riders on the team? Just hang around the back, wait for something to happen and then nip up the front? I doubt it, no. We give, we give him plenty of stick about it, let us tell you. But no, no, he's, he's done really well, Steve. He's really taking it on. You know, you perhaps wouldn't have thought that's the role he wanted to have done a few years back, you know, but he's really got stuck into it and he's studying it well. And yeah, good guy, actually, to have around, yeah. He's not bad, is he? He's also got a book out. Did he wander around the team a couple of days before and say, this is your reading matter for the rest of the race? I haven't seen it, actually. I haven't read it. I saw him with a copy of it the other day, but he didn't give me a copy. I don't know what's in it. He's not even giving you a signed copy. That's outrageous. Uh, it is, I think. Absolutely out. You said you've got to go elsewhere. I don't want to keep you, mate. I'll come and harass you later on. In... What? Is that... oh, I That's what you said. You said you've got important yeah. people to see. Business off. Business? What business is this then? Top secret business? <laughs> you know it is, mate. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for your time. I will let you go. Cheers, there we have it. Right, continue, Johnny. Let us know what else happened on a very exciting day. Well, I mean, my main question coming out of it, and when, when I caught back up with you guys, I went straight over to Ronan, and I was asking, because there was a difference in the rain between Roglic and Vingegaard, it was still coming down pretty heavy. And then by the time that Pogac was out on the course, it, it levelled off a bit. It wasn't so miserable. You were standing there like, if this carries on, it's going to be in for a long day. But my question to Ronan was, how much how much would that help Pogaccia gain that eight or nine seconds and make, get, let, allow him to go faster in the time trial? I didn't actually see, you know, any images of Pogaccia on course. I was running through the paddock there doing an Instagram live at one point. Um, but if I remember right, it rained, you know, quite heavily, at least up until the time he was starting. And in which case, 
you know, all the time you lose isn't because of the rain falling through the air, it's because of the, the, the damp conditions on the road. So I don't, you know, I would need to go back and watch it again, but if the road was still wet, I don't think he would have really got any advantage because it wasn't actually raining at that time. You know, I think these guys are, you know, mentally they're in the zone that they won't actually notice, well, they might notice, but they won't actually care whether it's raining on them or not. It's more all about the road surface and how wet or dry that is. So certainly later on, there would have been riders who benefited from a drier course or a course that was at least drier in parts. But I don't know. I, I, I can't really answer your question because I haven't haven't actually seen Pagacha racing. But I am from what I remember at that time, it was raining on and off throughout. So the course would have been wet throughout. Now, you just saying about the road surface, that's what the riders, they don't care if it's raining. They just want to know what the road surface is like. We've heard that over here, the tarmac's pretty bad when it rains. You get a lot of flints sort of come out and puncture, which is possibly if it rains tonight something we're going to see a lot of tomorrow yeah i spoke to we all spoke to dan bigham at some point today <laughs> <laughs> he was on our instagram live he was uh yeah we, we were talking to him quite a bit and i was actually talking quite a bit just you know catching up generally on on sort of tech uh, developments and uh just sort of you know getting his insight on a, on a lot of stuff and i suppose we'll probably touch on some of it later on but what he did say was that he last year while he was living in denmark for a while working with the danish federation working towards the olympics he did a road race on some of the course that we will use tomorrow not all of it but part of it and he said he lined up with a set of very fast but lightweight tires and it was a wet day it was pouring down it was pretty cold as well and he said that the Danish riders alongside him were actually laughing at him on the start line and not because he had a skin suit on or because he had an aero helmet or because he had narrow bars or anything like that but because he had these light tires on and he said that they knew when it rains here the punctures are just you you can hardly keep track of how many punctures there will be in a race Uh, and so it was within a lap within a lap he had punctured two or three times and was was out of the race Um, just like last night we're being interrupted by food delivery so yeah long story short not didn't turn out to be the case for today i don't think there was any punctures on course but for tomorrow it could be a major factor if there's any rain tonight or during the stage tomorrow right let's dive back to the riders now yves lampart clearly emotional on the on the tv screens what we saw mr tractor even said that he's he's just a, a farming lad done good isn't he that is, uh, and I, I just remembered there was, I think it was only this year or last year when he won a, one of the smaller Belgian one dayers and then he cycled back to his house with his medals around his neck and all his neighbours were outside applauding. So it's nice when one of those characters, you know, takes the yellow jersey and has that real big moment where everyone sits up and, no, and takes notice. And I think it's, you know, uh, he is a surprise winner. It, none of us were thinking of him for today's stage, but really we probably should have, given his time trial and pedigree. You know, it's only 12 months ago that he beat Remco Evenepoel to win the Belgian National Time Trial Championships. He recently won the time trial in the Balois Tour of Belgium, I think. he pretty sure he won that stage. Um, and he, he has a long history of time trialing. But I was sort of quite pleased to see Lampard win. And he's usually a writer I'm sort of indifferent to. You know, I, I, I quite like his style but given how rough a spring he had he had to sit out the likes of E3 and that just to try and find some form from somewhere and then just as it looked like he had hit some form was having a good ride in Paris-Roubaix all of a sudden he gets wiped out by a spectator on the side of the road and ends his chances of podium in Paris-Roubaix which is his favourite race of the season the season that the race that he was looking forward to so much so I guess like you know it, 
it's I, I don't know if it makes up for the Paris Bay disappointment or not, but it certainly uh, put gets his Tour de France off to a good start. And yeah, to to be sitting in yellow tonight, uh, well, we've seen what it meant to him in the in the interview they did post race, and he did it without the headstock helmet. He did it without the head sock helmet, yes. Um, and, I've, you know, we've heard a lot about this helmet and I think we're going to delve into it later in this podcast. But the thing about helmets is they work differently for every rider. Um, so let's, let's hope that Eve Lampard decided he wasn't going to use it because it looks ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but there could, be a, there could also be a part of it that, you know, he has tested with the other helmet and he knows that's right for his position or whatever. Um, but certainly it was <laughs> it was kind of after the whole hoo-ha about this new headstock helmet that Specialized brought out. He didn't even use it. He used the, the previous helmet, which uh, <laughs> I guess some people will be tearing their hair out about tonight. Now, it's, the team's got off to a great start, best start you could ask for, because there was a lot of negativity towards the team before the start. Obviously, they didn't include Cav, which everybody thought they would have because he had just won the British National Champs in an absolute sterling fashion with a, from a 180-kilometre breakaway. Plus, we were just talking off uh, Mike, Johnny, Yves Lampard is on a contract here. Do you think this makes a difference? Do you have, plus, obviously, his team boss. Patrick Lefebvre. Uh, Patrick Lefebvre being a little bit disappointed. Well, no, being very disappointed and being um, outspoken about them to the press for their classics campaign. Do you think this is a, a, a show of force like we're back? We're going to shut you guys up. Yeah, in the spring, it was uh, when, when the negativity was turning towards quick step. And, you know, everyone was, it wasn't looking for scapegoats, but Patrick Lefebvre, he was, he was polite and he was measured. And then eventually he sort of, he had one of his little lash outs and he was, he was like, you know, there are riders who aren't performing who are on contract year. So that will, that will be a factor when we renegotiate contracts or if we decide to resign them. And regardless of whether Eve Lampard stays at Quick Step, he, you know, you'd imagine he will. Um, that would have done wonders for the fee that he will he will ask for. Right. The question now is: Can we see him holding on to this jersey tomorrow? Is it's 100 kilometres before you get to that bridge? The wet the weather's turned nasty here. It's a lot windier than it has been the rest of the week. Obviously wet. Then there's that bridge that's going to take him at least 20 minutes to cross what do we reckon lads the team's definitely definitely strong enough it's one of them teams that are pretty happy when things go grim the main danger is Wout van Aert he's only five seconds off Eve Lampard so if he finishes first or even second and gets those bonus seconds then he will assume yellow um, the only other people you can see sort of really challenging for the win tomorrow is Mathieu van der Poel and Mads Pedersen who are 13 and 15 seconds back so unless there's a split and the likes of Lampard are caught on the wrong side of it then they'll they'll be the ones charging for yellow but after the stage we were on the UAE team Emirates bus talking to team manager Maxin and he and you know the questions were like well you know Wout van Aert looks like he's gonna assume yellow that's only good that can only be good for you guys because that means Jumbo Visma have to work and you know they're all playing it down but it, it does come into it and Killian Kelly uh cycling stats guy on Twitter he he was saying how today there were five UAE team Emirates riders who finished uh, not above 130 in the stage result today but Jumbo Visma had zero who were lower than 130 so it just goes to show how UAE team Emirates they're saving all of their all of their riders all of their matches 
thought they're all in for Pogacar whereas Jumbo Visma you have the split GC leaders and you also have Wout Van Aert going for going for the green jersey and then also Christoph Laporte went far, fastest at checkpoint one today before he had a crash I'm pretty sure and then and then fell down so things are a bit messier at Jumbo Visma than UAE there's two ways you can look at that you can and yes I, I see what you're saying and 100% agree that UAE are all in for Bugatti but also Jumbo Visma's tactic and you know allowing the riders to go harder in the time trial could have been with the conditions in mind that you know there is an increased risk of crashing or puncturing when it's raining like that so they might have been any rider who had a chance of placing highly they might have given them free reign to try to place highly to get their team car further up the cavalcade for tomorrow's stage which you know as we just spoke about could be plenty of punctures having your team car close to the front will be important but I think ultimately when it comes down to it as we discussed last night the fight to be in the front tomorrow is going to be pretty chaotic we're just looking at the forecast here now it looks from the forecast that I've seen like it's going to be dry but there is going to be wind and with that in mind you know I, I think I think all bets are off as to who could keep the jersey who could lose the jer- or who could move into the jersey or who looks good on on the results from today's time trial because you know yes Bogaccia is close yes Van Art is close yes others are close but you know it, all it takes is to miss one split tomorrow and the, we're, we're talking about about a good two, two and a half hours of battle on the road here tomorrow if the wind plays out the way the, the forecast is suggesting. So, yes, Van Art looks like, looking at tonight's result sheet, he could be the guy to move into yellow if Lampard fails or falters. But first of all, Lampard is mostly a classics rider. He won't be afraid of an echelon or two. He won't be afraid of fighting for a position. But then secondly, you know, Van Aert is, uh, you know, one of the best at that kind of racing. But still, when it comes to the Tour de France, again, all bets are off. It's, you know, they're certainly those guys are in a good position. But they're just with, with with the way that tomorrow's stage looks, it's not quite as straightforward as we might think. The thing is as well, just thinking about why would Jumbo want to take the yellow jersey? Admittedly, there's the publicity there, but if they're going to take it this early on, even if it is with Wout Van Aert and not one of their designated team leaders, why would they want to do that? Why would they want to, as you say, burn their matches early on? The team might not want to, but Van Aert wants a stage one. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And probably wants to wear yellow. Yeah, on every writer here wants to wear yellow at some point in their career. So, you know, it's... It, ultimately, Van Aert has said he wants to come here for green. Tomorrow is a big opportunity for him to take a stage and a lot of points in the green jersey competition. And the yellow jersey might come as a byproduct for that. Might not be the best thing for their overall hopes. But it's the yellow jersey in Tour de France, and it's a stage one in Tour de France. You don't say ne- no, do you? Neither of And let's move down the let's move down the rankings. Pogacar third overall, and uh, took time out of Ghana, which is. Pretty mind blowing, really, isn't it? It is. I mean, I don't. Skinny little lad up against a big bloke like that. Yes. <laughs> it's that simple, is it? Yes, it's impressive. Yes, it's mind blowing. Especially when, like, Gan, I think he was riding. Was it. Well, you might be able to tell us, Ron, was he riding the new top secret Pinarello? 
time trial bike that we saw them use uh, at, was it the Tour of Swiss? Yeah, it's not so secret anymore. They have officially announced it now, but um, it was on the new bike. Uh, he opted to run the standard front wheel rather than the trace book wheel that they've developed recently. So, uh, And he also had some sort of new helmet visor on there um, with, the, with the visor end plates on it. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, it, it was strange. Again, Johnny was saying that the conditions may have been more favourable for Pogaccia. Yeah. I, I haven't haven't seen that, so I, I don't know for sure. But it's still either way to outperform Philippe Bogana on a course like that is um, not something we were expecting to see. Do you think it could be down to what Pippa said last night? Teje is. He doesn't seem to have much fear. He's young. He bounces well. He cra- he doesn't hurt himself. Well, he hurts himself, but he bounces well when he crashes. And with that that fear on this course, well, you you needed to be fearless to get around them corners at speed today, didn't you? We asked uh, Maxin at the at the bus after the race. You know what? How how is how is Tade different? in the run-up this year to last year, you know, he's comes to this race two-time tour winner, proving himself because, remember, at the start of the tour last year, he only won on the final day, he won, wore the yellow, yellow jersey once on the, the Paris stage. And Maxim's reply was, Tade is Tade. You know, he doesn't take things too seriously. Well, the, the, you know, this come from the team, you know, who knows what actually goes on in terms of his temperament and what he's like but you believe that you know he's cracking jokes in the press conference on social media he's there being cheeky and yeah. saying stuff to Dan Martin tongue in cheek it's you know it's fun he's shown his personality when he's growing into the role of a rider who's won the, the tour twice and you feel it just goes from strength to strength you know today's going to be another one mentally having put 8 or 9 seconds over 13 kilometres on the flat into both Vingegaard and Roglic that can only help you as you say he definitely does seem very chilled like last night the the Twitter interaction between him and Dan Martin was fantastic it was all about it was, it was all about Tajay had put a picture up of it when he was a junior or not even a junior just a kid and it was a, anyway. There was a bit of aggro, not an aggro between them, but a little bit of banter between was, them. Yeah, and it, the, the, you could read it two ways, and the yeah. way the way that it was definitely intended was, was a joke, you know, yeah. it's joking. It's uh, a bit hazing. But the best bit was it was the fact that he was doing it probably about eleven o'clock at night, half yeah. past ten, eleven. He should have been in bed, putting his feet up, getting getting some shut eye before three weeks. You would have thought, wouldn't you? Of pure madness. Like a typical, you know, guy in his early twenties, except he's winning bike races. It's oh, it impressive. Is. Should we talk about any people that have had a shocker of a day? Oh, shocker, I mean, it's early to call it. I mean, Geraint, with Geraint Thomas, you know, he's in, he was Ineos's sort of GC hope after winning the Swiss alongside Adam Yates and Martinez. And although he lost about, how much was it? He lost about 10 seconds to Vingegaard and Roglic and obviously more to Pog. He obviously can put that down to the fact that he was he was wearing his gilet. He did his cornering was he admitted he, he admitted atrocious in the first half. But despite that, he was still quite close, and he feels he had the legs, and and so it's a double-edged sword for him. While he lost time, his legs held up. So it's a it's a difficult one to take, but you'd rather have that than be be well off the pace. There there was a couple of well. 
I can't say shockers because, again, I didn't actually see any action today. But in terms of GC hopefuls who have lost a, a bucket load of time, we had Enrique Mass lost close to a minute and Ben O'Connor who lost just over a minute. Um, so those, those are two riders who have lost you know, a considerable amount of time on today's stage. And again, I, I don't want to keep coming back to it, but tomorrow's stage, we, you know, we're... We, we talk about losing minutes in the mountains, but tomorrow is a stage where any of the GC hopefuls could realistically lose minutes in the cross ones. Um, so already off to a bad start, those guys aren't going to be too happy over dinner tonight. They're maybe going to be mulling it over in their heads when they go to bed tonight. And then, you know, it's, it's a negative sort of mentality to bring into tomorrow's stage, which is going to be a, a fight from the off, I think. So doesn't bode too well. After a 13.2 kilometre time track, I don't think anybody expected to see that sort of time put into major contenders. Yeah, and like you can you can understand how it happens. You know, it's it's, it's probably less about the power and time trial ability today, and more about cornering ability in the wet. But and and they were maybe playing it safe. You know, you're better better with a slow time than crashing out of the Tour de France in stage one. But still, in all, you know, there is there is a tipping point where if you take it too carefully. Uh, you end up losing, you know, over a minute in Ben O'Connor's case, and that's, you know, that's that's a that's a big loss to take out of the opening uh, time trial. And although Ben O'Connor was never going to win today's time trial, he probably was confident of being amongst, you know, the 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 better GC hopefuls coming in, coming out of the time trial. And to come out of the time trial behind most of the GC GC hopefuls, yeah, it's going to be, I guess, it's going to be playing on his mind. Maybe maybe he'll laugh it off and maybe I don't know how he rides in Etchlands maybe he can take back minutes tomorrow but it seems like a bad start for him to the tour he was quite relaxed uh, after the finish when he stopped to do a couple of interviews uh, but the one really nice thing was that because he's the team leader now of a big French team in AG2R Citroën he was speaking French to the to the French media and you know by the sounds of it you know he speaks better French, to the, French than me but by the sounds of it he's only recently started to really learn it and the great thing was that he, he would speak in French, start the sentence, but then when he didn't know a word, he would just say the English word in a French accent. And then the press officer was there right away to just add in the French translation. So, you know, that is, is, and, the, and the French media really like it when riders make an effort to speak their language. They certainly do. I, I, I can contest to that with living in France myself. Right, before we go any further with a talk of which I think we should throw over to our second diarist at the Giro Donna. Today we have got Neve Fisher Black who rides for SD Works, a New Zealander who's going to give us all the lowdown from the action of stage one because yesterday was a prologue, stage one of the Giro Donna. Hey, Neve here, and uh, we are two days into the Giro Donna now. Uh, yesterday was a short, fast, and uh, very hot prologue on the coast of uh, Cagliari. It's a few corners in there to make it technical. But uh, yeah, uh, TT's prologues, they speak for themselves. The strongest rider wins at the end of the day, and yeah, I mean, it was, uh, yeah. Did what we did what we could. Uh, as for my team, Lotta came in fourth, was uh, pretty close. So, yeah, I think we were all gunning to try get her in pink today. That was the goal, anyway. Um, idea was to 
try and execute a good good lead out for her and get her those that time bonus at the, at the end. Um, but yeah, plans don't always work out, hey. And uh, I think I'm proud of the team. They they really uh, tried today, and unfortunately, Lossa just yeah maybe was not in the most ideal position in the end and had to do a little bit too much work and couldn't have that real kick that we know she has. Um, but yeah. Uh, plenty more days to come to get it right. Sorry, quick interlude there. Shara, our nutritionist and chef, just brought me a berry smoothie. Very nice. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so what was I saying anyway? Uh, today was today, and tomorrow's a new day. That's our saying a bit on this team. And yeah, it'll be another hot, fast day, I think, on uh, the island of Sardinia. And day three of our uh, 10 days of Girodona. So uh, yeah, excited and uh, still feeling good and ready to go. So yeah, see you tomorrow. Right, back with a tour, tour news. We might try and wrap this up rapid today because we're getting rained on, believe it or not. The restaurant behind us is chock block inside. We're sat outside getting damp, aren't we? Shoddy is standing up <laughs> over the pizza, the laptops, the recording equipment. He is he's trying to host and get sentenced out while being a, a barrier against the, the conditions. I'm trying to look after you guys. Thanks, Shoddy. We appreciate it. A lot. <laughs> awesome. Right. Let's have a... Shall we do a bit of a nerd nugget, Ronan? Because today, obviously... It's a it's a tech head's delight in it, and you spent uh, how many hours wandering around the pits? Uh, I got there what one o'clock, and we left at uh, I don't know, but it's half eight now, and we're still going. So, yeah, you, uh, you, I think you left just after about seven. Yeah, so a good six hours, non-stop walking around the pits, and it was well worth it. It was uh, it was a tech nerd's delight in the in the paddock today. There was plenty of. Uh, new kit on show. I'm assuming this podcast won't be out until tomorrow, so I'm going to go ahead and delve into what I spotted today that will make up my article tonight. Um, and I guess, you know, we had the new Panarello. We all seen that before. We had a couple of other new friends we've seen before. Shada, you told us during the live feed about Lotto, who are riding camp bag equipment, despite the fact that they're using Shimano equipment on their road bikes. So that was that was a bit of a yeah. Because it's, 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 you know clearly just last year's time trial equipment that they're still using for this year. And yeah, everything's blacked out. Wheels are blacked out. You can't wait. You can still tell it's a camp bag wheel because the camp bag logo is quite distinctive, isn't it? And yeah, this year they are sponsored by Shimano. We're not even sponsored by Shimano. They buy their own equipment. It's only three teams that are sponsored by Shimano: DSM, Francis Dijon, and Jumbo. So it's it's quite interesting to see that they're still using Campagnolo equipment on their time trial bikes. It's a real mishmash, isn't it? But what was more interesting to me was um, I want to start with Enios Grenadier's new tri-spoke front wheel from Princeton Carbon Works because I've been tipped off in the lead up to this that the the tri-spoke had a an arrow-shaped end cap, let's say, um, the kind of which we've seen Filippo Gana using in last year's Giro d'Italia Stage 1 victory, which was immediately banned by the UCI within a couple of days of that one, and he then had to reverse back to standard round end caps on his time trial on the hubs of his front time trial wheel and we had heard that the new Princeton Carbon Works tri-spoke had a similar arrow shaped 
end cap uh, on the hub and sort of found that hard to believe given everything they went through last year with that getting banned so when I turned up today the first thing I wanted to see was this front wheel and when I did see it it turns out it had as a standard round end cap so I spoke to some people from Ineos and they told me that actually it is intended to have an aero shaped end cap but it's not actually I say an end cap it's not actually an end cap what they've done is they've made the axle uh, have aero ends to it <laughs> in some way again I couldn't see it today so I don't really know but what, what they're saying was they knew about this UCI regulation so they they made this aero shape a structural part of the wheel rather than the end cap that clips on in an attempt to sort of find a loophole in the UCI regulations but I think they kind of chickened out at the last moment uh, and rather than have the UCI say you can't use this at the last possible moment they decided to in- install this these axles with round standard round uh, axles so that they, they wouldn't have any issues so that was an interesting piece of tech that we that might have made for a new story but didn't actually turn up but it's interesting as to why it didn't turn up they, they any else are still confident that they have found a loophole but they just didn't want to risk it on day one of the tour de france uh another thing on the Enios bikes there and the bahrain bikes and the uh any of the continental sponsored teams basically was a new gp 5000 stt or time trail tire so a tubeless time trial yes specific tire yeah we've seen a new tire from continental last year they brought out the str uh, the gp5000 str uh around about the worlds last year i think it was we first seen it gana used it to uh, when he won the time trial world championships last year but now they've got a time trial specific version of that tire i spotted it got up close with it got a good look at it <laughs> could spot no difference but presumably there's something in the compound there is maybe uh, a bit softer but faster but lower rolling resistance the tread pattern looks identically the same it's maybe a bit narrower no there was no markings on it as to what width it was um but that that was one thing that was certainly interesting and then also a specialized turbo cotton time trail tire uh, we all know the Turbo Cotton. We all know the Turbo Cotton Hell in the North. Uh, the time trail popped up a couple of years ago. Uh, hadn't seen it since, but it was on all the Specialized Equipped bikes today, the Turbo Cotton time trail. So I, I gave Specialized a wee ring. Didn't get an answer, presumably because it was mid-stage, but um, just, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the story is on that time trail tire, and, you know, if there's going to be an announcement on it. it. It doesn't look like it's a new tire. We have seen it before on Asgreen's bike a couple of years ago, but it's sort of, I'm not sure if it hasn't been in use since, but it's certainly resurfaced today. Uh, and it's very, very subtle difference again. You can't really spot a difference, but there's something in the compound there, I guess, that makes it a faster tire specifically for time trailing. And then, of course, on this topic of Specialized, we had that TT5 AeroSock helmet <laughs> in use for a lot of the riders that didn't win the stage. <laughs> the rider who did win the stage was using the TT4 helmet, um, but the, the TT5 helmet that we've seen announced just yesterday really was the talk of the paddock. Um, you know, this this new sock built into it that is said to hold the helmet in position a bit better, but really... It looks like it's just there to cover people's beards if they're a little bit hairy and make them their faces a bit aero. Well, yeah, I was talking to a couple of the other teams today to get their take on this new helmet and what they thought, and the sort of general consensus is that it's... It's a solution to a problem that we have created ourselves, basically, and moving to these wider helmets that 
it's sort of the trend with Pock. The Pock helmet was the first one super wide, and then we've had a few other helmets since then that sort of try to. F- they're, they're a bigger helmet, so they, when, you, when you're a time trialist who can get your head down level with your body and your body is horizontal and it sort of presents one face to the wind rather than a body and a head sitting up above it, um, a wider helmet can effectively fill the gap between your head and your shoulders and creates a, a, a more aerodynamically friendly sort of setup. Uh, and with that comes this sort of problem where airflow can find its way inside the helmet and when I was chatting to the teams in the paddock today that's what they're saying that they think that this helmet is supposed to do but interestingly I spoke to the guys at core the body the core body temperature sensor guys and they were saying that actually for perhaps not for like a time trial today but for a time trial like we had on the final day of the tour last year where it was like close to 40 degrees Celsius that actually if if the teams could find a way to fill this sock with like the ice slushies that we see them using that actually could prevent or could provide a sort of cooling mechanism for the riders Uh, but I have a funny suspicion that actually the UCI might step in between now and then and and do something about this sock yeah I can't see them letting the riders roll around with ice cubes stuck to their face or a couple of ice lollies down the neck yeah, well, the, you know, you would put ice in there, but it would uh, presumably it would melt pretty quickly if it's warm enough to make it a difference. But still, what you would have is that you would have that cold ice melting into the sock, and the sock then would be a much lower temperature inside the helmet than inside the helmet would normally be. And of course, if you can keep your head cool, it's actually it's it's great for keeping your perceived exertion lower. If your head starts to overheat, your perceived exertion goes through the roof. So that could actually be one of the benefits of this helmet as well. Officially, Specialized, I think, are saying that it holds the helmet in position. Um, but as to whether or not it works, helmets are so variable. You know, what, one helmet that works for one rider might be the worst possible helmet for another rider. And the worst possible helmet for one rider could be the fastest for another. So it really depends on the, the entire system and, and you know just sticking a helmet on your head won't necessarily make you faster and especially with these wider helmets if you're a rider who sits like Lampard with your head above your torso that a wider helmet like this is just going to be more frontal area and it's going to be slower so you know it, yes it will undoubtedly like every helmet on the market will work for some riders but it won't work for other riders and there's some helmets that are a safer bet if you haven't got time to get into one tunnel and the new specialized helmet strikes me as something that probably isn't the safer bet for most riders it's probably very like the POC the POC is another one that it's fantastic if you're well the, the POC coming from my right was designed for one rider at the um, Athens no, at I, one I of the Olympics it was Gustav Larsson at the 2012 the Olympics in London uh, I think it was designed around his position and it works specific, it works fantastically well if if it works for you and if you can hold it in the right position throughout the time trial. But if you're a rider who moves your head around or your head sits above your, your body when you're in time trial position, it's like one of the slowest possible helmets you can put on your head. So it's unfortunately, there's no simple answer when it comes to time trial helmets. And you know, regardless of all the manufacturer's claims, really, if you're gonna 
you know, if you're going to spend time testing anything, a helmet is something that actually really does need testing for the individual. You know, there's plenty of time trial specialists and, you know, riders who only ride time trials and triathletes who want to know what is the fastest helmet. And there, there is no simple answer. Like, there's a couple of helmets that are a safe bet for everybody, but, it, yeah, it's, it's a minefield. <laughs> I don't think we've got time to get into it here tonight. Right, with the tech done and dusted, I think it's time to hand over to Joe Safer the daily bit of culture. On the horse course today, we bumped into Joe saying she said, Dave, it's all about Vikings and ladies of the night. So it might be a bit X-rated. Let's find out. We leave Copenhagen behind, but only travel a few kilometres to the west for the start of stage two in Roskilde. The name is synonymous with the famous Roskilde Festival that conveniently also takes place this weekend. Talk about a traffic nightmare with two major events colliding in a town of 50,000 people. For the record, big acts at Roskilde this year are Dua Lipa, the night before the opening stage, and The Strokes after stage two. Then there's a whole lot of other acts I've never heard of, but then I'm 43 and what do I know? Oh wait, you'll see her there too. Now we're talking 90s childhood. Roskilde is one of the oldest cities of Denmark, as it is on the crossroad of many Viking travel routes. If you have this picture in your head about bearded warriors with horned helmets, please don't. There is no archaeological proof whatsoever that Vikings wore helmets with horns. It would be impractical during the many battles they fought across Scandinavia and Europe. It is an image of these peoples that started to spread in the 19th century, back when artists and writers thought the stories about warriors roaming Europe were the peak of epic romance. After centuries of mainly religious depictions on art, artists were looking for something else. The problem was that there weren't any images or stories of what Viking people actually looked like. Cue some free artistic interpretation, some digging in old history books and stories, and voila, we have a warrior tribe with beards and helmets with horns. The problem is that the stories they based the images on were not of Scandinavian peoples. They were images and stories about German tribes who lived many centuries before and were described by Roman authors. And it's thought that these German people did most likely wear helmets with wings and horns. Today's finish is at Nuborg after the peloton traverses the Great Belt Bridge or Storbalt Bridge in Danish. This marvel of engineering opened in 1998 and is part of an ingenious system of bridges and tunnels opening up Scandinavia by road from the European mainland. This 18 kilometer long structure links the islands of Zeeland, where Copenhagen is, to the island of Funen, where our Finnish town of Nuborg is. The Great Belt Bridge consists of two separate suspension bridges, 6.6 and 6.8 kilometers each, with an island in the middle. The total cost of the construction was 4.2 billion euros. And to earn this investment back, there's a toll system. A team car should cost around 18 euros or $19 for a one-way ticket. And it will be 82 euros or $86 for the team bus. The island in the middle of the two bridges is called Sprogu and comes with a particularly horrible story about the treatment of women in the last century. Between 1923 and 1961, the island served as a facility where sexually promiscuous women were housed. Around 500 girls were brought to Sprogu during this time. 
If a person in the local area was branded as either being unstable in terms of their work or conducting themselves in a way that went against the common morality, they could be diagnosed as morally deficient. Characteristics of such a diagnosis included vagrancy, thievery or sexual insatiability. Then they would be transported to an island. For men, this was Lever, and for women, this was Sprogu. The story of the girls, the, the way they were treated, and the home itself features in Jussi Adler Olsen's book, Journal 64, and you can find the 2018 film by the same title on Netflix. All right, cheers, Jose. That was fantastic. There's more from her at every stage of the tour. I think, shall we wrap this up, lads? Shall we finish our very cold pizzas that are sat here? It's not going to. You mean start our very cold pizzas? That's, yes, yes. After, they've been sat here for a good half hour now. We don't like eating while we're chatting. We know how upset you kind people get. Before we dash off and eat these pizzas, who's your picks for tomorrow, lads? That's Pedersen. Good choice. He he will want a win here. Home hometown crowd. And he's looking super chilled, isn't he? Yes. But I'm gonna go for Matthew Vanderpoel. Pedersen was looking super chilled when I seen him because he was wearing ice fest for the warm-up in the time trial. Yeah, it was quite surprising to see yeah, quite a few riders. Oh, that's a, maybe that's a nugget for another day. Long story short, you want to warm up your muscles and warm up your system, but you want to keep your core body temperature low. Okay. So they, when you're on a turbo trainer, you don't have the airflow coming over your body to keep you cool. So what they're trying to do is keep their core temperature down while they warm up their legs and their lungs and their heart and all that. I, I was quite surprised because it's a blooming cold air today. Such a shame after the week you've had as well. It's been, you know, it's been a glorious. But we're speaking to someone uh, quickly. We're speaking to a, a local earlier who said that Copenhagen, Denmark gets one week of summer a year and usually it comes in August. But clearly this year it came in June and it ended very abruptly on stage one of the Tour de France. Awesome. So, picks we got. Vanderpoel. Vanderpoel. Mad Pedersen. I'm going to go. We got. I'll go. Wolf Van Aert. Let's see who's right tomorrow, if any of us are right. Okay. Thank you for listening. There is another Daily Tour podcast coming at you tomorrow and every day for the next, well, three weeks plus the Women's Tour as well. So please tune in, download us, give us a, give us a, a nice review on um, Apple iTunes, where, wherever you listen to this. It does help massively. Hope you've enjoyed it. I'd say goodbye to you in Danish, but I haven't learned it. So goodbye. Thank you. See you tomorrow.